You're listening to CJSW Originals. For more spoken word content, go to CJSW.com. is Jenny Kwong for ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. You just heard my guests Lori and Fear strum on her guitar. She is here along with Sholi Powell to talk about poetry in Calgary for National Poetry Month. Sholi will also read one of her poems. Okay, um... Maybe uh, we can start with introductions. So, um, I guess, uh, Lori, uh, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lorianne Fuhr, and uh, I love poetry. I like writing it. I like hearing other people's poetry, and I like to uh, instruct some poetry at the Alexander Writer Center Society, which is usually in C-Space, but is now online. All right. And what about you, Sholi? Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Sholi Powell. Um, I've been, gosh, I kind of just lucked into poetry about three years ago um, with Wakefield, uh, Single Onion with Laurie, Wolf's Voices. Uh, Calgary has been actually just... Uh, it has an amazing community uh, for poetry and writing. So I've been extremely fortunate um, to be involved with both spoken word and um, poetry, as well as a little bit at the APL uh, in at the Airdrie Public Library. Oh, that's cool. And I guess... Um... I just say APL because it sounds cool. <laughs> And we're here, I guess, to talk about the spontaneous poetry that Lori is doing at the Alexandra Writing Center. Well, that's one thing we could certainly talk about because um, I took a little class with the League of Canadian Poets and they had a nice little method where um, I could ask uh, either of you some questions and then use those answers and go off and write a poem for about uh, 10, 15 minutes and then uh, bring it back. Um, but in more uh, generally speaking, Poetry Month, Poetry in Calgary, um, there's so much uh, going on, uh, not as much in person, but online for sure. Say we, we were meeting at a bookstore and I had a little cocktail table with a nice little tablecloth, maybe a lacy one, something like that maybe a candle on there, nice flower. And you walk in and I'm sitting there with my typewriter. And you said, okay, Lori, you can write a poem for me now. And so sure, Jenny, have a seat. And uh, so tell me a little bit about what's been on your mind. I guess I, I'm in uh, at a time when I'm, um, things are happening in my uh, sort of career wise. And so 
and so things are moving ahead in that sense. I'm doing a lot of uh, community work uh, with the Chinese Canadian community in Calgary. And so that means I'm, I'm doing stuff for the radio station, but I'm also doing other things, yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Um, is your career the radio career or it, are there other um, things that you have going on too? Um, well, I got accepted um, into a, a program at SAIT, so I'm going back to school in September, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, what are you going to study there? I'm going to study legal studies. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, what interests you the most? Um, family law or criminal law? Um, wills and estates? <laughs> I guess family law. Family law, that's great. And you have a chance to help people. You, you read a lot of books too, right? Mm -hmm. What are the three most recent titles that you read, if you can remember? Well, I just finished reading um, A Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon. That's a, like a YA title about two people who meet on the last day of uh, one person's last day in the United States. And oh. so, yeah. And so there are two people um, uh, uh, there's a young woman who is uh, Jamaican, and then there's a boy who's named Daniel, and they're 17 years old. Okay. Sounds like a good one. Um, okay, well, that gives me a few things to, to work with. Um, how about your mood today? Do you feel unhappy, kind of meh, or maybe somewhere in between? Um, I'm, I guess I'm energized from the morning meetings that I had today, yeah. Okay, and maybe some morning coffee? Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so I'm going to um, write you a poem. And my rules for myself are that you must take about 10 or 15 minutes so that if we were hanging out in the bookstore, you could go and browse for a while and come back and get your poem. Uh, that's personalized for you, including some things that you've, uh, you've mentioned, or that will be. It's not instantly written, but um, <laughs> we'll come back. We'll come back and I'll, I'll uh, present you with a poem. I guess, uh, Shirley, uh, you said you started around three years ago. Uh, I guess talk, talk about the different performances you've done so far. Oh, uh, I guess when I started, um, gosh, I want to say that I went to, um, I was actually invited online personally by Wakefield, Wakefield Brewster, and we actually didn't know each other. His message was, uh, we have a lot of people in common, <laughs> so we should know each other directly. 
and he uh, invited me to Pitbull Poetry. And the very next day was the People's Poetry Fest uh, in the East Village at Lock 112. Um, And the Saturday afternoon after the poetry walk that we had there, um, I ended up reading at the open mic. And it was funny because it was following Wakefield. If you'd seen Wakefield perform, to follow him, you would just usually just take a pass. I was like, no, thank you. I think he's done everything. So, but it was, um, it was just, you know, kind of an intimate afternoon. So that was when I uh, read for the first time. And um, then the next time was the following month at People's Poetry, sorry, at Wakefield's Pitbull Poetry, uh, which I ended up attending monthly. Um, and from there, I was invited by Lori to Single Onion. Uh, I was invited to Wolf's Voices, uh, another um, series that the Single Onion was running at Shelf Life Books as well. Um, oh, yeah. Wolf's Voices is um, Adrian Adams, however, uh, rather than uh, Single Onion involved. Um, it, the poet Adrian Adams runs at Wolf's Voices and it's all uh, women performing. I'm so glad that you were part of that. Yes, yes. Um, as a part of a couple of them that she's run. So that was that was great too. So from there, like I said, the, uh, the community of poets and writers in Calgary is absolutely phenomenal. And I tell um, Miranda all the time, the fact that you can actually just actually reach out and touch them is absolutely amazing because it's just this fountain of never ending resources and support. So I've been extremely fortunate, although I didn't just start writing three years ago, I probably started writing when I was in grade three. Um, (laughs) I guess I've only sort of, um, found my voice in public <laughs> about three or almost four years ago now. Uh, Shelly, did you prepare anything to um, read today? Uh, I do. Um, it's not new, but it's it's interesting because the thing about your own writing is sometimes you rediscover it in a new light and in new context, even if the words don't change, it still becomes new to you. And that's kind of what this piece is for me. Um, Yeah, it's just, uh, it it started out, the intent of it was to be a letter. Um, But the way that it revealed itself on paper ended up to be poetry uh and then there's kind of a before and then um an after because i there was a few things that i didn't take into contemplation um with my initial uh intent of writing a letter um it was actually about a relationship that had resolved um and I was kind of reaching out to this person to kind of say, not necessarily why, but that was the medium he, he always corresponded in with me. Um, yeah, 
So when I had um, put pen to paper, when I read it back, it sounded like a poem to me, which was kind of funny. Uh, and then a month to the day following, he had passed away, <laughs> uh, which was a week before my birthday. And in the week, the day of my birthday, I ended up writing a part two in realization of the relationship that my daughter had um, that I hadn't taken into consideration that kind of casted a different light that I didn't explore on this person. So that was the piece that I had chosen. Uh, and it's just called um, Remember Me. Did you want me to read it? If you don't mind. No? Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Remember me? I am number four of five. Well, in this scenario anyway, the Powell Raider Union way. Remember me? You were invited on my wedding day as a guest without a role, opposed to father of the bride, an honor I reserved for another, my mother, who was both father and mother of five. Remember me? That midnight call when your health wavered and your brain scrambled and your reality shifted to see the light, thereafter immobilized and confined to a hospital room, to a bed of recovery and regiment of therapy, to reestablish mobility of body, mind, and cognitive. Remember me? When a few visitors during your recovery, your dispensary of monetary aid, providing rolls of coins for calls where your coverage fell short, Remember me, your ticket home on the weekend pass, your pickup, drop-off, handy bus. Remember me, the attendee in the front row, reserved for family, for the farewell to your brethren, my uncle, Father Ferguson. Remember me, a visitor to my own hometown, I kept your name on a list to drop by and sit with, a quick chauffeur to the grocery mart, to church, dominoes, and so on and so forth. Ensuring cash in your pocket where again, your coverage fell short. Remember me, how quickly forgotten the one time falling short by nondescript circumstance beyond my control in coming to your aid again. That's all it took. That in your inflated gossip of discontent and disappointment, verbalized by number five, waiting in the gallows for my fall from grace, to manipulate and perpetuate their place, replacing mine on your wish list of final testament. Remember me? It's all good, because now I'm free. I've done my duty, fulfilled my prophecy, have a promise to my mother in the role of my father to always give if he is in need. Remember me, you were lucky I was four or five, my mother's daughter. You now rely on number five a little more your nature. And now I'm sure you have since been forgotten just like you have forgotten to remember me. Remember you, 
You were the unspoken name in a house full of noise occupied by three young girls and two strong boys. Supervised Sundays came too quick as I walked the green mile, sometimes claiming sick. We, the two of five, were flourished with gifts, guilt-laden even then, as I now recall when. I returned to the house, now quiet, no noise. Just one girl and still the two strong boys. Brandishing, brandishing my wares, offering as gifts in hopes to be shared, but refused as insult, as though I didn't really care because I went. Now fast forward 40 plus years, divided again, slightly different dynamic, but still separate ends. In reflection of past and your passing, your end, to a story rewritten, still broken, now bent the truth. Last chapter in solace as I lay down to sleep, I pray the Lord your soul to keep. Now if I may pass before I awake, I've resolved my heart, my soul he may take. Because no one lives forevermore, I take comfort in what I've adorned in my child, who wholeheartedly truly mourns. The loss of a figure of whom she adored. With only fond memories of tokens and gifts and basketball games and stories of back home from which he came, of trinkets and coins and field trips and toys, a gift I gave you as well as her too. A memory of that, a memory that was no need for edits or rewrites. It is as it was. In trust, a new chapter, a story unlike mine, in life and in passing, no gift more divine. And now I resolve, I'm content, I'm fine. Reflectively in condolence, I too have chosen to remember you. All right, Jenny, here's where we cheer. Spoken word clapping and snaps. Hi, it's Jenny again. We don't actually have time to play the poem Lori wrote and recorded based on the answers I gave her. So we'll try to play it another time. That was Lori Andrew and Sholi Powell, two Calgary poets. Next is co-host Nathan Taylor. Thanks, Jenny. For this poetry edition of ArtsLink, we're going to take a look at the Japanese form called haiku. I had the pleasure of speaking with, and getting some homework from, Josephine Loray, whose website will link to this episode, as well as the website of Haiku Canada. Here's how our chat went down. My name is Josephine Loray, and I've been living in Calgary since 1990. Um, I have always had a poetic sensibility, and it was, I think, first uh, pointed out to me in grade four when I submitted a story. Um, we were all supposed to write about autumn, and I wrote about how sad the tree was to be losing its leaves. And I remember my teacher being um, impressed and surprised that I had that kind of sensibility. Uh, poetry is something that I dedicate myself to increasingly now. I'd kind of, I'd come away from it after university and having, uh, starting my family, but I returned to it about 10 years ago and I write in many forms. I have had a few collections published and poems published in different anthologies and I've launched into uh, joining Haiku Canada and Tenka Canada in order to learn more about the forms and participate more in the writing of them. 
I'm very interested in Basho, of course. Basho, Issa, and Busan are the three haiku masters. But a few years ago, I was introduced to the female haikuists, and I found that it was interesting that their voices really hadn't... Um, no one mentions the female haikuists. Everybody always mentions the male haikuists. Uh, and so I, there's one I would like to read by a haikuist called Chioni. And uh, she was a student of some of Basho's students. And hers is this, Butterfly, what dream is making your wings flutter? Haiku is a very evocative poem in a very uh, limited structure. So I think everybody knows that it's limited to three lines. And typically in North America, we are told that the count of syllables is very important. It's five syllables in the first, seven in the second, five in the third. And that's a little bit of a, a mistake because in the Japanese language, they don't write with letters as we do in, in our alphabet. They use symbols, um, kanji. And so the actual count of syllables is a little bit less. So you can write something with less than 575. 575 would be the maximum. I didn't really know this before I uh, found out about you, but uh, yes. there's another form uh, of it called tanka, which is older. So in the Haiyan period in Japan, which is in the year in the 700s, the Japanese culture was still very much influenced by the Chinese culture, and they adopted this style of writing. Tanka has five lines, actually. So the syllable count would be five, seven, five, seven, seven. And oftentimes... It is grounded in nature and in observation, but there's also a bit of a, a human element to it, a response. Um, and oftentimes in tanka, it doesn't have to work like this, but oftentimes the middle line is a pivot line. So you can either read the tanka as a five-line poem in its entirety, or you can read it as a haiku with a first, second, and third line. And the third line is the end of that haiku. And then you can read the last three lines, so the third, fourth, and fifth line separately um, as a complete thought. About the years, in the 1600s at least, Japan was in a different period of time, the Edo period. They had achieved civil peace. Before that, it had been a time of warring factions trying to gain power. Um, but it was a time where there wasn't much unrest and they had closed their borders essentially to foreign trade and foreign influences because they wanted to be able to protect their culture and their sovereignty. And many people, ex-soldiers, for instance, or samurai, the samurai class, found that they had a lot of leisure time where in the past they would be preparing for war and for battle. Now they could dedicate themselves to the arts. So in a sense, it was in Japan, it was a type of renaissance, uh, of flourishing of the arts, visual arts, dance, paintings, um, poetry. I wonder, it can't be much of a, a, a coincidence that uh, people that were formerly, you know, basically just worrying about war, uh, switching over to poetry and trying to express themselves artistically are writing about, you know, the elemental forces of nature and, and things yes. like that. Yes. Uh, could you give us an example of some of your work? Uh, yes, I would like to share one of the poems that was published in the first submission that I made to Haiku Canada, their 40-year anthology. And I wrote it for my children, who now live in British Columbia. Um, they're grown up. By the moon's soft light, I connect the stars that reach from me to you. 
an evocative of, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not a, a mother, but as a son, I can imagine how you might feel. Yes. Very cool. Um, could you give us an example also of um, maybe one of those uh, tankas that uh, are, you can separate from, from the haiku from it? Yes, I will. The first one is from a collection called The Ink Dark Moon, Love Poems by Ono Nokomachi and Izumi Shikibu, women of the ancient court of Japan. I thought those white clouds were gathered around some distant peak, but already they have risen between us. So this one doesn't actually have the example of the pivot line on the third, but you can see the parallel that's made of what's happening in nature to what is happening in a relationship. Haiku is typically grounded in nature and it is usually specific to a certain season. So there are certain words that evoke certain seasons. So if you were, for instance, to say cherry blossom, that would be spring haiku. Or if you were to say dragonfly, that is a summer. So there are actually lists and lists of birds and plants and animals that are specific to each. So you don't have to use the season word in the haiku, but you can evoke it by saying, for instance, robin. Robin would be a spring one. Um, and then specificity is very important. So for someone writing a haiku, the, the kind of advice that I give, I didn't mention, but I'm a, I'm a junior high teacher. So I teach haiku to my students. And I've also taught a haiku workshop through the Calgary's Alexander Writers Center Society. Um, so some of the advice I give is to be specific. Don't say the tree, because the tree can be any kind of tree. And so it loses really impact. But if you were to say, for instance, um, birch or if you were to say maple or if you were to say pine they each evoke something different and some of the trees for instance have a lot of symbolism with, behind them so the, the hawthorn tree in england and i believe the equivalent here is the mayday it is believed to be by some the portal between this world and the other world or willow for instance the indigenous peoples some of the indigenous peoples that live in north america believed that the willow had healing properties or aspen, where uh, an entire forest of aspen is actually one tree. It's They share the root, same root system. Um, I would like to share a haiku I wrote about aspen. Aspen, trembling this forest back to life. So a uh, question for you about writing the haikus in this case, because, uh, um, you know, the aspen, the trembling aspen, I mean, that's one of the most visible things uh, in, a, in a forest that you can see is those, yes. those leaves shaken in the sun. And so, um, you know, when uh, you're looking at using the word trembling and, yes. and you're looking at using up those beats, I'm, I'm just kind of curious what you might be able to give for advice on people that are fretting about that and, and there are turning to those lists of words. Um, mm -hmm you asked me to write some and I kept sabotaging myself for wanting yes. to find shorter words, but then sacrificing the specificity. Yes. Um, the process, the process that I usually give to my students at least is three part. First of all, take a walk with the intention of being open to what is happening in nature because haiku is always written in the present tense. It doesn't involve memory or reverie about what's coming. So take a walk and let your senses be filled not just by what you see, but also by what you hear, the scent in the air, the taste if there is. So the first one is observation. The second one is reaction. What is your reaction to that? What is happening within your spirit? 
um, as you make yourself fully present in that moment. And the third piece of it is a creative imagination. So take what you are visually living and try to cre create an art out of it or um, a poetry out of it. I know it's hard to explain, um, but something that some advice that I sometimes give to people who are stuck is to write everything that you're experiencing. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you think of? And just sit with that for a little while and then extract from that the essential. And the essential is the haiku. And so another of the qualities you were mentioning was the evocativeness of the poem. Yes, yes. Um, similar to the way that an artist would use a paintbrush to, to paint a picture on paper for us, the haikuist chooses words and images to create an impression in the listener's mind. And the fact that it's so brief, but also so full, I was told once that haiku, you have to picture haiku as being alone on the page and it's surrounded by all that white space. And that white space is a silence. And within that silence is where we meditate on the image and how it resonates with, within us. Um, there's often a sense of correspondence as well. So I will read one that I wrote in Victoria when I was um, visiting in spring. Magnolia petals, 1,000 butterfly wings waiting to unfurl. That was my conversation with Josephine Loray. You can find more of her work at josephinelorraypoet.com, last name spelled L-O-R-E. We'll also have links up on the ArtsLink episode page over up at cgsw.com. Well, that's all the time we have for ArtsLink this month. From Jenny and Nathan, we'll talk to you folks again in May. Welcome back to Season 5 of the Hearsay Podcast. I'm Albert Brown. And I'm Selwyn Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about the Federal Equalization Program with Dr. Trevor Toon. The Hearsay Podcast would like to acknowledge that it is recorded on Treaty 7 territory, the traditional and ancestral territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy.